Welcome to Rocktail Hour, an hour's worth of rockin' good time in about 15 minutes with your buddies Tim, Treg, and Ryan. Three old guys that are a testament to the fact that rock and roll keeps you young. In each Rocktail Hour, we bring you our favorite stories behind the greatest rock and roll tunes of all time and other interesting musings about the music and the rockers who inspire us. Rocktail Hour is now an affiliate on Amazon.com, the online megastore that offers Earth's biggest selection. Amazon.com seeks to be the world's most customer-centric company, where customers can find and discover almost any product they can imagine, usually at the lowest possible prices. If you're going to buy stuff on Amazon anyway, it would be cool if you would first click on the Amazon.com link on the Rocktail Hour homepage or our affiliates page, and Amazon will kick a few shekels back to the Rocktail Hour to help fund the free podcast. Today, Tim is going to bring us the story behind Oh Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison. Okay, well... I'm a little emotional because it's it's been a long time coming that we actually do this podcast. For the Rocktail Hour listeners, there's been an ongoing management dispute about whether or not this podcast should even be done. But we're going to do it because we think that Oh Pretty Woman is one of the greatest rock and roll tunes of all times. We recorded this probably a year and a half ago, and um, recognized that the sound quality was really bad. And there was argument uh, between uh, different factions within the Rocktail Hour, and it was never presented to you. So maybe one day when we're famous, there will be the lost version of Oh, Pretty lost Woman. Lost episode. Yes. Yeah. And those people that are responsible for the poor quality have been sacked. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and mocked. I hope your content's just as good this time. I hope so, too, because I think it was really good the last time. So hopefully it'll be just as good this time. (laughs) I'm going to start out by talking about Oh, Pretty Woman, the Van Halen version. When I was young, as again, we've talked about many times, I, I was not allowed to listen to rock and roll music. And so I had to sneak rock and roll music into my life. And a lot of it honestly came from my working at, at the pizza restaurant. And we listened to uh, rock and roll, hard rock and roll music back in the back, 99.5 FM in Salt Lake City. Uh, I don't know if they even exist anymore, but they certainly don't exist in the same way they existed in the late 70s and the early 80s. They played some great, great music. Um I began listening to Van Halen because I'd heard them several times, you know, at work. And Oh, Pretty Woman was one of my favorite songs. I loved it. And Van Halen's version is fairly, um, Van Halen's version is fairly true to the original song, but it certainly has its own signature. And especially Eddie Van Halen's guitars and David Lee Roth's vocals, which are so much different than Roy Orbison's. I loved uh, the Van Halen version of it. So did you know the Roy Orbison version before you knew the Van Halen? No, and in fact I'll I'll tell you that story in, in just a minute because that's really kind of the that's really kind of the ironic part of, of Oh Pretty Woman and why I really wanted to do this podcast. Again, Van Halen uh covered this song on their Diver Down album. And in the original days of Van Halen, they did a lot of covers of some really famous songs. And because of their touring schedule, they would get into the recording studio and do a, do covers of various famous songs because they didn't have time to write their own material early on. And so on that Diver Down album, there were 12 tracks, and five of those were covers of other songs. 
Eddie Van Halen did not like doing covers. It really bothered him. He said he'd rather have a flop of one of his own songs than a hit with somebody else's song. And eventually they stopped doing covers on their albums as they as they accommodated writing their own music into their schedule instead of, of touring so much. But early on they were touring and very popular and um, that was a way that they could release albums with some new material. And, and, they, and they had some pretty big hits, um, especially with Oh Pretty Woman. Well, so that was in the early 80s. Now, by the late 80s, um, after many years of, of Roy Orbison's career being in decline all through the 70s, um, he, he picked up in some popularity. And part of that was um, that one of his songs was used in sort of a cult classic movie, Blue Velvet, by David Lynch, who was who was um, the Twin Peaks director on right. TV, but he's had some really um, sort of classic cult movies. But anyway, David Lynch used Roy Orbison's song "In Dreams" in Blue Velvet, and I yeah, I've never I've never seen the movie, but um, around 1987, I heard Roy Orbison's version of "Oh Pretty Woman" for the first time, and maybe I hadn't. Maybe that wasn't the first time I'd heard it, but it was the first time it really registered to me that it was Oh Pretty Woman. And I thought to myself, in fact, I saw him on a PBS special singing this song. And I thought, what is this old goofy guy singing Van Halen's <laughs> song for? You know, I'm like, because I loved Van Halen's version and I had no idea that this was his song. And... um so I, you know, as I watched this PBS special, um, it talked about the fact that Roy Orbison had written Pretty Woman and that it was a, a big hit back in the 60s. Well, Roy Orbison recorded this in 1964, and he was one day uh, doing a recording session or a writing session with his longtime partner, Bill Dees. Uh, Bill Dees just died here a couple of months ago. Roy Orbison died back in, I think, 1988. One day, Bill Dees and Roy Orbison are, are writing music together. And Roy Orbison's wife, Claudette, comes into the room and announces that she's going to go shopping. And Roy Orbison just says, well, do you need any money? And Bill Dees says, a pretty woman never needs any money. And just, like, have, just like that? Yeah. Well, I have no idea if that's what Bill Dees really sounds like. That's how I heard it in my voice. So that's how I'm going to say it. And, and that was really the inspiration for the song. According to the research that I did, Roy Orbison just started singing, pretty woman walking down the street. And... Um, he sang it, and Bill Dees was kind of banging out a, a rhythm on the table. And by the time Claudette came back from shopping, they they pretty much had the song written. And that's amazing. Well, yeah, and isn't that kind of kind of the way? I think when you have a real hit like that, and something just clicks, and you're inspired uh, by something uh, to create a, a song or anything, really. I think that it it can be very easy to be creative once you've got that that spark of inspiration, and that's really all it took. You know, we we all do a lot of research for different songs we're going to do, and it it seems like that is the case for a lot of the songs that I've researched. That they're they're written in a very short amount of time. Yeah. Now, one song I don't know if I'll ever cover, but "Under the Bridge" by Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know if we'll ever do a podcast on that, but Anthony Kiedis wrote that just on a short drive on the freeway. You know, <laughs> he he wrote it and and just was having a kind of a bad day. And, you know, five minutes later, it was done. Oh, that's you know, awesome. Their biggest hit. Yeah. It just seems like that happens a lot, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, again, like I say, when that spark of inspiration hits, it, it just seems to kind of Boom. click and, and, yeah. and then there it is. It doesn't happen for guys like us. No. <laughs> we don't have that yeah. musical background. You know, there's a lot. Of, I'm sure there's a lot. Years and decades of preparation went into that moment of inspiration to be oh, able to convert what well, was in absolutely. his head. And, sure. You know, you hear these stories about these guys. Oh, I'm sitting in a restaurant and I write it down on a napkin. 
you know, and here I have uh, Imagine, you know, or whatever it was written on a napkin, you know, (laughs) amazing. Yeah. And that is a good point, Treg, is is that it, it's years in the making to yeah. reach a point like that where you have the ability and the talent uh, and, and the skill to be able to do something like that. So that is an excellent point. Well, um, there are some great elements of the song. You know, there's that the beginning uh, at the very beginning of the song, there's that tick, tick, tick of the drum that's supposed to sort of imitate a, a woman walking in high heels. Oh. And, and then there's um, the distinctive... Uh, you know, mercy growl, right. you know, yes. and that's really awesome. And, and, and Bill D says, well, you know, I can't do the growl, but the mercy was all mine. He says, I, you know, I, even today, I still say mercy when yeah. I see a pretty woman. <laughs> um, but then there's that, that growl of, you know, that sort of, um, sort of feline growl that, that Roy Orbison does during the middle of it, that sort of sounds like, you know, <laughs> only he does it far better than I do, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, all of those little elements uh, really come together to create a, a real piece of magic. Now, like I say, I loved um, the the version of Oh Pretty Woman that, that Van Halen did, and that was the first one I heard. And so I always have sort of a, a special place in my memory for that song. But it didn't take me long after discovering Roy Orbison to realize okay, there's a difference between Roy Orbison yeah. and Van Halen. You know, Van Halen is really good. Roy Orbison is just classically great. And when you listen to his vocals, and I think David Lee Roth uh, – has incredible vocal ability. I really like his vocals um, coupled with the music that, you know, Van Halen wrote. Again, nothing compared to Roy Orbison. The way that Roy Orbison could inject uh, feeling and character into all of the songs that he wrote. And really, I've I've heard the, the voice described as a musical instrument. And people can bang out a tune on a piano, and then there are certain people that can make the, the piano sing like no one else can. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think vocal ability is the same thing. And I think Roy Orbison had that interesting sort of almost plain, scratchy kind of voice. But at the same time, he knew how to play those vocals like an instrument, and they sounded incredible when you listen to him sing. Well, this was in 1964 that the song was written, and he and Claudette went through some some tough times, um, and they divorced. But then in 1966, they were remarried. uh, This time with a prenup. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, she wanted her grocery money. <laughs> yeah, this time she did want money while she went out shopping. Uh, but two months later, um, Claudette was killed in a motorcycle accident. She was hit by a semi Yikes. while they were riding a motorcycles. And apparently, uh, Roy Orbison had been introduced to motorcycle riding by Elvis. And so they were coming home from a trip, uh, I'm, I'm guessing each on their own motorcycle, because she was killed instantly uh, in this crash. And and the sad thing was, it wasn't much longer after that, but his two oldest boys uh, were killed in 1968 in a fire at his home wow. while he was out on tour. So this was a really... Uh, personally, this was a really rough time for Roy Orbison. Well, Roy Orbison's uh, career waned in the 1970s. And clearly, you know, you moved into that harder rock uh, period, especially the psychedelic rock period. And his music sort of, you know, fell out of favor a little bit. But in the 1980s, again, due to the movie, the recognition from the movie, and that kind of picked things up to where in 1987... um, by 1987, he, he was in, uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by um, Bruce Springsteen, 
was the one who who gave the speech on that. And Roy Orbison uh, apparently was very moved by the attention that he was getting. It was hard for him to believe that after so many years, you know, he was now back and and being recognized as as one of the greats. And I would I would easily easily put him as one of the great rock and roll pioneers and just one of the great performers that that really brought rock and roll into the forefront. He, he kind of had a comeback in the late 80s too, didn't he? I don't know if you remember the Traveling Wilburys. Oh yeah, definitely. I love the Traveling Wilburys. Oh yeah, great. that great album. And he was so fantastic on that album yeah. too. And for Tom some of Petty, us... right? Tom Petty. Yeah. And, and, uh, oh, was it Bob Dylan? Wasn't yeah, it? Bob Dylan and, and, and Tom Harrison. Petty George and George Harrison. Harrison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, fantastic album. And you know, I don't think I was that familiar with him until that until that album came out. You know, so even for a younger generation, I'll consider myself a younger generation. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. You're a young old guy. <laughs> a young old guy. Yeah. Uh, You're the youngest he, old guy in I'm the, the room. I'm the youngest old guy in the room. Yeah. He, I think it gave him a little bit of a, a surge of popularity again, too. Yeah. I, I remember I, that. Yeah, after that, I well, went back and bought his, his solo album. Well, and I remember before. seeing the music video for Oh Pretty Woman, mm-hmm. which I, I don't know if it was an old 60s video, that cut, but they actually played it on MTV. Yeah. And yeah, and that may have been the video I saw on the PBS special about him. And it was during this time of the Traveling Wilburys. Um, Again, in 1987, Orbison was inducted into the National Songwriters Hall of Fame and initiated into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Bruce Springsteen gave a speech and he concluded it with a reference to his own song, Thunder Road. And he said, I wanted to record a song with words like Bob Dylan that sounded like Phil Spector, but most of all, I wanted to sing like Roy Orbison. You know, and how would that be to have somebody like Bruce Springsteen say, I want to sing like you? And, and, and apparently Roy Orbison was so moved that he asked for a copy of the speech and and just, you know, seemed to be very gracious person. Back to Van Halen for just a little bit. They had a video of Oh Pretty Woman, and it starts out with, you know, an introduction, uh, just a guitar solo by by Eddie Van Halen, and it, that probably runs a couple of minutes. And then the video begins, and it was it was the very first video banned by MTV. Now I don't wow. know if I don't know if MTV plays it now, but it's gotten a lot of airplay on VH1 <laughs> over the years. But it it's not a very good video. Do do you remember when Van Halen first came out uh, and they they had a real hit video and um it was it was critically acclaimed because it was the first time that it looked like rock and rollers were having fun in right. in their music video they smiled and they laughed and it looked like they were having a good time instead of trying to be the sort of of rebellious right. you know sort of oh. dangerous rock stars you know what i mean yeah. and and so they had that hit and then they have this uh this version of Oh Pretty Woman and it was banned, and David Lee Ross said it was banned because they one of them dressed up like a samurai. Michael Anthony dressed up like a samurai, and he said he thought it was banned because they were making fun of a historical figure that was almost theological, you know, with the with the samurais, you know, being somewhat spiritual and at the same time warlike. Really, why it was banned is because throughout this entire video, there's there's this damsel in distress that sent out a a distress signal, and it's picked up by all of the different members of the band. Again, Michael Anthony is a samurai, uh, Alex Van Halen was Tarzan, and Eddie Van Halen was a cowboy, and David Lee Roth was Napoleon Bonaparte, which seems a little <laughs> Freudian to me. I you know I I don't know. That's that's a little odd. But anyway, so they're all playing these different characters, and I I think it was banned. 
land because this girl who was in distress was kind of tied up and she was being fondled by midgets who kept running around her and fondling her. And it was a little it was a little weird. Well, I believe that the banning was really a culmination of the fact that when David Lee Ross showed up in a limousine as Napoleon Bonaparte. He discovered that the the girl, the damsel in distress, was really a guy in drag. And so throughout the <laughs> throughout the whole video, these midgets had been sort of fondling this guy in drag. And I think that's probably what finally pushed <laughs> MTV over the edge. Is you know this is back in you know 1983, so wow. you know you have to recognize that you know. Probably now it wouldn't be a big deal. Well, it's not a big deal because it's not it's no longer banned. Yeah. But. They actually reveal that at the end of the at the end of the video that it's a guy. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. Yeah. How funny. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of the the story of Oh Pretty Woman for me and and what a great song. I have I have a an album of of Roy Orbison's greatest hits and I I can't find one of them on there. There's probably twenty. And there's not one of them on there. The the artistry and the music and and the vocals are are just not incredible. You know, you can't say enough good about Roy Orbison and the fact that this sort of frumpy looking guy who looked old when he was young, you know, and he always wore those signature sunglasses that kind of made him look like he was, you know, gloomy and kind of down in the mouth and, and just what a great artist. It's it's yeah. really it's really a you know here's the thing you know Roy Orbison if he went on American Idol today wouldn't even make it past the judges let alone go to Hollywood <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know yeah. because he just wouldn't look the part and I think that's really been the downfall of music I don't want to detract from you know people who are good singers and and have the ability to really entertain I think there's some good artists today you know Katy Perry and and even as much as I'll probably get mocked I think Lady Gaga has some great music but you know this idea that everybody has to be beautiful before you can even recognize them as a as a yeah. star as a singer really precludes a lot of good people out there being able to to make it in the music industry and, and you know like i say would steven tyler today get past the judges would roy orbison would pink floyd any of them get past <laughs> right. the judges on american <laughs> yeah. idol anyway that's that's all i have yeah just for the record the greatest van halen singer only recorded one cover song. Sammy Hagar just wanted to put, put that in there. <laughs> the greatest Van Halen singer. Okay, so I've had this argument. I have a friend, um, Chad T, to protect his anonymity. <laughs> Chad T thinks that Sammy Hagar is is great. And in fact... I do too, Tim. Well, I, I love Sammy Hagar. I don't like Sammy Hagar with Van Halen. How's that? I um, I was a diehard Van Halen fan. Uh, before they broke up in 1985. And I was dismayed that anybody, anybody who, who took David Lee Roth's spot in Van Halen was was bound to not be liked by me. And that, that's a fair statement, no matter how good they are. That, that would be a fair statement. Um, and so my friend and I have had this argument, ongoing argument, that Sammy Hagar never belonged in, in Van Halen. Sammy Hagar was a great artist by himself. I Can't Drive 55 is one yeah. of the greatest songs ever written. And, you know, it's it's just silly, but it's a really great it song when song. you listen oh, to it. And it's, an, it's a song that does, it's kind of timeless. It doesn't come out of the 80s feeling dated like the 80s to me. Uh, at least I don't think so. I haven't heard it for a little while. 
but he he really thinks that Sammy Hagar was the better singer. I will say this in all honesty. Sammy Hagar is a much more well-rounded performer and far more talented musically than David Lee Roth is. I think David Lee Roth was a great frontman and a great, great performer and a great, great entertainer yeah. Yeah. and a great singer, but I don't think he's the full package that Sammy Hagar is. Now, I think that they wrote better material with Sammy Hagar. Well, and personally, right. And part of that is, is that David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen were at odds about oh, the kind yeah. of music that they wanted to, well, they, they all, wanted to they write. They had their own separate studios. Right. And, <laughs> and David Lee Roth wanted to sing totally different songs that Eddie Van Halen wanted to play. And so I think probably the, the musicality that came after the, the David Lee Roth years was a result of Eddie Van Halen being able to write the songs that he wanted to write. Well, so. I, remember, I remember hearing that David Lee Roth was, was horrified that the beginning of Jump had synthesizers in it. He wanted, <laughs> he wanted nothing to do with synthesizers in Van Halen. But that now, was... can you imagine that song without it? Yeah. yeah, I mean that song. It's just amazing. Yeah, <laughs> the intro is. Yeah, those were th- that was a great album. That whole 1984 album yes. was incredible, and that's it, my favorite David Lee Roth album. Oh yeah, but, but I love the OU812 album by with Sammy with Sammy Hagar in it. Yeah, you know, more it was my high school years, but man, I just thought that was, that whole album, and it has one cover song on it, but that whole album I think is great too. The Welcome to the Van Halen cast. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. A discussion of Oh Pretty Woman. But the problem is, if you're going to have a discussion of Oh Pretty Woman as a classic song, you really have to to recognize Van Halen's cover in its own right. It was so big and so popular in its own right that that it almost became its its own song. And so I think you have to recognize you're doing a podcast about Oh Pretty Woman. You recognize Roy Orbison for having written the song and, and, and the great artist that he was, but it was also a very big, not just a cover by another band, but it was a big hit for somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that we'd like to mention before we wrap this podcast up is that this is Rocktail Hour's 50th podcast. Woo-hoo! Yeah. yeah. So awesome. A um, little bit of history with the Rocktail Hour. Um, as of today's recording date, we are uh, quickly approaching our two-year mark as as having been uh, recording these Rocktail Hours for you. And we appreciate our listeners. We've had a lot of positive feedback. Uh, we'd like, obviously, to have more followers on Facebook and, and through Twitter, but we've definitely got some very loyal followers, and we've been getting uh, really good feedback, and we just really appreciate that and hope that uh, occasionally, uh, once every two weeks or so, we're actually bringing you a little bit of entertainment, and you're learning a little bit more about the music that uh, you love as much as we do. So uh, again, uh, grateful for everybody and just want to say thank you. Thanks, Tim. If you want to listen to a clip from this song on iTunes by clicking on the album link on our podcast page, we'd appreciate that. Also, please email us at dudes at rocktailhour.com if you think we got it all wrong. If you have an interesting Rocktail Hour of your own, or if you have a recommendation of a song, if you think we're just lame, well, keep that to yourself. But please follow us on Facebook and Twitter and rate us on iTunes. Also, please contact us if you want to buy the next round at an upcoming Rocktail Hour by becoming a sponsor. Until the next Rocktail Hour, rock on. Mm-hmm.